Welcome to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. This is episode 15, The Disappearance of Katherine Eggleston. Hey everyone, welcome back to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. This is episode 15. And today, we are going to be talking about the disappearance of Katherine Eggleston. It's another disappeared person's case for you this week, and I really just thought this was an interesting one because, once again, it leaves a lot more questions than answers. I don't have any announcements today, but if you could, please remember to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps others find the show, and it really helps the show. Thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Okay, I don't have any more announcements, so let's just get started into this case. Katherine Scott Eggleston was born May 4th, 1971 in Redmond, Oregon, the United States. She also goes by Katie, so I'll be referring to her as either Katherine or Katie throughout the episode. She was born to Paul and Heather Eggleston, and they were both teachers. She was one of four daughters. From all accounts, she seemed to be a happy child and had a pretty normal life. She would go on to college. She went to Oregon State University, and she was in a sorority. She seemed to really enjoy it. She graduated from Oregon State University in the spring of 1993, and she got a Bachelor of Arts degree in English. After graduation from OSU, Katie landed her first real job, and this was at a Portland communications company, and this company was called AllNet Communications, and Katie was a salesperson at this job, and she seemed very excited about this new opportunity, and the job seemed to really suit her because she had a really outgoing personality. A lot of people described her as the life of a party, so a job in sales was really perfect for her. So she had that job in Portland, and she was living with her sister at the time, just for a while, and her sister was Janet Taylor, and she was divorced and 15 years older than Katie. Katie went missing on August 2nd, 1993. This was a hot summer day in Oregon. That morning, she left the company's office to attend a business meeting in Portland, Oregon, This was her first day to make sales visits alone, and she made several of them that morning also. She also stopped at a bank, a gas station, and she ate lunch at a local Burger King. After all that, she arrived at a building that was then called the Port of Portland Building, and it's this really large skyscraper type thing. And she had a business meeting there, probably another one of the sales meetings that she had. Five witnesses saw her there in the building and they said they saw her in the lobby making phone calls and she seemed to be preoccupied and worried. Katie then had her business meeting and after that was over which was around 2 15 p.m. the man who she had the meeting with saw her getting into the elevator with a man who was wearing a blue blazer. He did not know who the man was, but he described him as having dark hair and a dark complexion. 
This was sadly the last time Katie was ever seen. Katie was then supposed to return to Olnet's office where she was to meet with her advisor at 5 p.m. At this time, someone saw her car and it was a gray Volkswagen Golf and that was still in the parking lot of the Port of Portland building. Katie was staying with her sister, as I said earlier, and when she failed to report home, her sister Janet called her father, and he went out to search for her and find out what was going on. The next morning, a security guard found her car where it was last seen and said all the doors were unlocked and all the windows were rolled down. The keys were actually still in the ignition. Her purse and the contents of it were in the car, and it had everything in it from her checkbook to her credit cards to a small amount of cash. Her passport, though, was absent. And Katie's parents said that she actually got her passport from their house, so it should have been in her possession. For the next few days, they performed an intensive search. They had volunteers that were searching open areas around where her car was found. They were searching fields, roads, everything, farmlands. Her employer, Allnet, paid for other kinds of searches. They paid for air searches and even ground searches using bloodhounds, which have an amazing sense of smell. The Egglestons also did some of their own investigating, which is typical in a lot of missing persons cases that the family does a lot of their own investigating. They actually went to some office buildings nearby to see if anyone had seen her or anything suspicious. They also interviewed a number of witnesses to see if they saw anything. They also worked with a private investigator and came up with some suspects of their own, which we will get to later. Tips, of course, started to pour in. There was a tip hotline, and it actually filled five binders with more than 900 pages of information about her case. And of course, some of those were good tips. Some of those probably weren't, but there were a lot of tips that came in. So what really did happen to Katie Eggleston? Early on, the police had a theory, and their theory was that Katie disappeared on her own. The Egglestons quickly dismissed this theory. They said that Katie had no history whatsoever of any type of mental illness. She had no history of running away. She was pretty much a good kid who did the right thing and was not the type to just up and leave. She was also very excited about her future. She had this new job. She just graduated from college. She was really at a good point in her life and really starting her adult life. There was no reason for her to want to leave that. Her friends and family all described her as fun, easygoing, the life of the party, all good things like that. They never sensed any type of mental illness or depression or anything like that. Those around her never noticed anything going on before she went missing. Her co-workers all said that she was very attached and excited about her job. Initially, her parents thought it could have been her boyfriend at the time, who she was visiting the weekend before. The police looked into this and eventually cleared him because he was nowhere around the area where she went missing. There's another theory as to what happened 
There was this gas station attendant who noticed something suspicious around the time that Katie went missing. He noticed there were two men and they were in a car that was driven by a woman. And now he believes the woman was in fact Katie. He said what was weird about this is the woman was driving so erratically, he thought that she was intoxicated. He said that she seemed to be in some kind of a bad state. And then later he noticed her photo in the news and made the connection that that could have been her. He said he almost reported her as a drunk driver. He did contact the police shortly after he saw her photo in the news and even worked with a hypnotist to try and produce images of the men. He said even later on he was haunted by his regrets of not reporting the car as a drunk driver. The Egglestons may have been convinced that Katie was abducted and something sinister happened to her. However, the police were not as convinced. The Portland Police Bureau had another theory. They thought that maybe she went missing for a different reason. You see, around this time, Katie's sister Janet and her former husband were accused of failing to report around $190,000 in business income from earlier years. That would be worth about $350,000 in today's money. Katie could have been called as a government witness. And some members of law enforcement believe that she fled to avoid having to testify against her sister and her sister's former husband. They also said that her passport was missing, so that's more evidence that she could have left on her own. Many of the detectives believe that this was motive for her to flee. Now, all of Katie's family believes that this is not what happened. Her sister, Janet, said that this was completely unrelated to her case. On July 9th of 1993, Janet and her ex-husband, Jeffrey, pleaded guilty to the charges and did not have a trial. And this meant that Katie would not have to testify. Katie's father, Paul, said, quote, Katie may be a government witness, but her contribution to the case has been minimal. She doesn't know any more than Sarah, her younger sister, also a potential witness, about Jeff's finances, end quote. And this would probably make a lot of sense because what do you really know about your older sibling's finances with their former spouse? Probably not a whole lot, not enough to make any difference or testify. Sadly, not a lot would happen with Katie's case until 2004. And that's when there was another case, and it was the disappearance and murder of Brooke Wilberger. And her murderer, Joel Courtney, was supposedly in Portland at the time of Katie's disappearance and thought to be a possible suspect. In 2006, the FBI even said that he was still being examined as a potential suspect in her case. And they're not really saying much about what's going on with that, so we really have no idea what kind of a lead that is or if it's really just nothing because no one, as far as we know, had seen him 
near her or in that area even. The FBI also cleared him of two other cases that they were looking into. So who really knows? Now, a couple of my thoughts for this case, because I honestly have no possible idea what happened. It just seems like maybe someone was just in the right place, right time, for lack of a better phrase, and was able to take advantage of the situation and to harm her. I want to go back to one thing, and that's the person who was meeting with her. He saw her going into the elevator with a man. And that was apparently the last time anyone had seen her. So who is this man? And is he just this innocent bystander who happened to be in the elevator with her? Or was he involved somehow? So I think that could be one possible angle that this case could go in, but I'm really not sure. Another thing is, at first, I thought it was strange that she went to her parents' house to get her passport right before any of this took place. And I thought, well, maybe she did want to leave the country for some reason. And then I saw online someone had said that it's pretty typical to need a passport as a form of identification when you're filling out the I-9 forms for a new job. They always ask for your driver's license and another form of ID, and it's usually a passport or a birth certificate or something like that. So that just makes it seem like that was completely unrelated and she needed a form of ID. She didn't have any intention of actually using the passport. Maybe it was still at the office or something and it just got missed. Who knows? It kind of seems like maybe she went off with someone. Maybe someone asked her for directions or help or something and then unfortunately just abducted her. Both of her parents would say that they believe their daughter was murdered. They claim that there was no way she could have just left on her own. And the thing about her sister's case had nothing to do with her disappearance. They believe foul play was involved. And like I said, at first, they believe maybe the boyfriend could have been a potential suspect. Some people said that Katie was actually thinking about maybe breaking up with the guy at the time. But eventually, the family decided that probably was not what happened. And they actually maintained a cordial relationship with him for a while, which is nice. Sadly, though, Heather Eggleston, Katie's mother, died in 2011. Her father, Paul, died in 2017. And they maintained that she was murdered up until their own deaths. And as of now, no one knows what happened to Katie which is extremely heartbreaking and sad. I do hope one day, somehow, we do get answers. Well, that was episode 15, The Disappearance of Katherine Eggleston. I really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you could, please rate, subscribe, and review. It really helps us out. Also, be sure to follow me on Instagram, at TrueCrimeWorks. You'll see the profile picture. 
If you have any ideas for upcoming cases, you can either send me a message on Instagram or email me, truecrimeworks at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. I can't wait to talk to you next week.